to our virtual worship service. We appreciate you joining us today. We hope that if you're visiting with us that uh, you'll make uh, an in-person visit very soon when we start back our services soon, hopefully. Today we're talking about home and what that means to us and how we long and yearn for that place where we call home. And it may not be what you think. So, Let's focus in our minds as we begin our worship service this morning, as we sing the songs, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we hear a message from from the Bible today. Let's open up our hearts and lift up our voices as we praise our Creator. Several years ago, Kelly and I were lost uh, on this road trip. We were trying to get back uh, to our house, and I don't even remember where we were at this time, but I remember that it was sleeting, and it was freezing cold, and there were no gas stations, no hotels. There was nothing in sight. We were just 
just in the in the middle of nowhere, lost in a sleet storm like I've never seen before. And our windshield wipers were freezing over. Our windshield was freezing over, and, and it wouldn't. Uh, the windshield wipers wouldn't work, and we would have to stop every now and then and, and get the windshield wipers unstuck from the uh, from the windshield. And man, I thought, oh, I cannot wait to be home. I want to get out of this storm. I want to be safe. I just want to be home. And we eventually made it. And I tell you, home has never felt so good as it does after an experience like that. After a long trip, you lay down in your own bed and you think, oh, finally home. It just feels so good to be home. Today we're talking about home. We're going to be studying from Hebrews chapter 11 today. There's some challenging, challenging passages here in this incredible chapter in Hebrews 11. We call it the Hall of Faith because there are some men and women in this passage that are uh, examples to us, um, extreme examples to us of what an incredible, biblical, godly, righteous faith looks like. Uh, We're going to look at a couple of them today. Specifically, we're going to start uh, in Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 13. And he says, these all died. Now, who's he talking about there? He's he's mentioned, like we said, several people so far in in this section of the Hebrew letter. So, who's he talking about? These all died. Well, if you go back up a couple of verses, you'll find that he starts this thought out with Abraham. He doesn't start the chapter off with Abraham, but I think what he's intending here when he says these all died, I think he wants us to start with Abraham. And then he's going to talk about Sarah and how they left their home uh, in Ur of the Chaldees, a technologically advanced city. Um, It would have been one of the capital cities of the world at that time. And they traveled to this backwoods nation known as Canaan because God told them to. Um, And so that takes some incredible faith. But also Sarah has this incredible faith when she is told that she's going to have a child. Uh, It takes incredible faith to believe that because she's she's, uh, advanced in years, advanced beyond the age of childbearing years by that point. He's going to include in this, these all died, statement also Isaac, Abraham's son, and Jacob, his his grandson. So these all died in faith. In Hebrews 11 verse 13, he says, these all died in faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah all died in faith. So what is faith? It's a word that we throw about a lot, right? Um, As Christians, we have faith. And we talk about that an awful lot, don't we? Do we know what it means, though? Do we really know what it means to have faith? Well, happily for us, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, actually defines what it means to have faith. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. He says, "...it's the faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." So what does that mean exactly? Maybe you've got a different translation, but I'm betting that, uh, that, the, that the phrases there are just as difficult to understand. So let's think about that for just a second. What does it mean? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Well, it's things that you have not experienced, that you have not seen, that you have not tasted, that you have not touched on your own, but you are 
positive, convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that, they, that those things are real. I liken it to uh, Kelly's fudge pie. At Thanksgiving, she fixes a fudge pie sometimes. It's just amazing. I love it. It's one of my favorite desserts of any um, meal, holiday meal. So what would happen if uh, she had the fudge pie there uh, beside the fridge and she said, close your eyes and we'll give you a bite. And so I close my eyes, open my mouth, and sure enough, I begin to taste the fudge pie in my mouth. I am convinced that I'm eating fudge pie, right? Faith, biblical faith, is based on evidence. That is something that our friends in the world don't seem to understand about biblical faith. It is based on evidence. Just as sure as I am that I was, I'd be tasting fudge pie, I am positive that this book is from God. It is beyond human compilation. We could not have written this book. It is impossible. We can talk more about that later. Shoot me a private message if, if you'd like to talk about that. I'd love to, uh, to, to talk with you about that. I believe that the universe was created. There's no way that this thing popped into existence on its own. It had to have a creator. And again, send me a private message. We'd love to talk about that. In fact, our Wednesday night series, uh, over the last several weeks now, the last 20-some-odd weeks, I think, we've been talking about that very issue. And So check out those classes. I hope they'll be useful for you. Uh, Rick's done a fantastic job walking us through some of, those, some of those videos. I'm convinced that this creator made this book, that he wrote this book, beyond the shadow of a doubt, you cannot convince me otherwise. He wrote this book. And the promises that I find in here are from him. And they are just as sure as anything I can see or touch or feel. In fact, they're more sure than the things that I can see and touch and feel. I have evidence that back up my assurance my conviction. Now, I can't see those things. I can't handle them, can I? Uh, these are, it's a, it's a logical thing. And so I can't wrap my hands around it. I can't taste my assurance here. I can't, I can't see physically with my eyes. I can't grab a hold of physically with my hands this assurance, but it's there nonetheless. I, I'm positive because of the evidence that I've based it on that there's a creator, and that creator revealed himself to us via this book. And that his promises found in this book are true and sure, and they will. He will be faithful. There's not a doubt in my mind about that. The gentleman and the lady that we see here in Hebrews chapter 11 died in faith of this conviction of things that they had not been able to see yet. Look, look, look on into verse 13. They, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. So these guys didn't have, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, didn't, they could not grab a hold of the ultimate promise that God had given them of this heavenly country, this heavenly homeland that He's been pro promising them and promoting to them since Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees with Sarah and Lot, 
God's been talking about this place, but they haven't gotten a hold of it yet. They haven't gotten to see it yet. They don't know what it smells like. They haven't gotten to taste it yet. Now, some of the promises that he's made to them, he's come through on, right? Sarah did indeed have that child. Uh, God did indeed uh, bless Abraham with, with an offspring here. It's going to take 25 years from the moment that he uh, promises that offspring, but he comes through, he makes good on that promise. And I'm sure that there are so many other times when God made promises to Abraham that God, made, that God came through, he made good on those promises. And so when Abraham starts thinking about this heavenly country, this, this home in heaven that God's promised to him, that he's been promoting to him, he thinks back over all the other times when God has been faithful. And he says, I believe him. I believe him. I look back at the evidence that I've got. He's been faithful. He's never once let me down. I believe that that's going to happen too. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, you cannot convince me otherwise. He will be faithful. And so even though they couldn't see it, even though they couldn't grab a hold of it, these, these men and women died in faith not having received the things promised, not yet, not all of them, not, not the home country that they had been promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. We're, we're kind of used to greeting people from afar over the last several months. Have, 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 <laughs> we've become accustomed to that at least. Uh, just as sure as you are that the person that you're waving to and shouting to off in the distance, at least six feet distance, right? Just as sure as you are that they're there, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah were sure that God was going to come through on His promises. They greeted them from afar, even though they couldn't grab a hold of them just yet. They knew that they were going to happen. Listen to what else he says. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Abraham's from Ur of the Chaldees. Like we said, it's one of the maybe more technologically advanced cities of his era. It was the big city, so to speak, in his day. And he leaves it and he goes to Canaan. Now, he was probably comfortable in Ur of the Chaldees. At least it was something that he recognized. He was familiar with it. And oftentimes familiarity breeds comfort, right? And so he's probably comfortable in Ur of the Chaldees. And he makes his, as he makes his way into Canaan, he sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, these people begin to notice that Abraham isn't like them. Um, he doesn't talk like them. He most likely doesn't dress like them. He doesn't think like them. He follows a different God than they do. And he has different priorities and values different things than they do most likely. And so he is an alien and a stranger here. Now that's something that Abraham understands. In fact, by the time Sarah dies, 52 years after uh, the promise has been made that they're going to have a child... They've been in Canaan for 52 years at this point. Sarah dies, and Abraham walks over to, to the Canaanites in the area, and he says, hey, there's a, there's a cave at the back of this field. I'd like to buy the cave. I'm a sojourner. I'm a foreigner. Uh, I'm a stranger in exile in this land. But I want to buy that, that cave to bury Sarah in. Even then, even after 52 years, he hasn't assimilated. He hasn't become a part of their culture. 
Uh, in fact, he still views himself very much as a stranger, as a foreigner. If you've ever been out of the country, it doesn't take you very long. You step into a marketplace, you go into a crowded place, and you begin to figure out you stand out pretty quick. Uh, even if you're dressed like the people in that area dress, um, you stand out pretty quick. All you have to do is open your mouth, and they, they understand pretty quickly that you're not from there. Um, in fact, you don't even have to open your mouth. In most countries, they can spot an American just by the way we walk. Uh, and so we stand out, and, and I am sure Abraham stood out too. He was not comfortable in this place, not even after 52 years. In fact, Isaac and Jacob were both born in Canaan. But at the end of Jacob's life, he looks at Pharaoh and he says, well, I'm a sojourner here. I'm, I'm a foreigner in this place. He was born there. They've been in this land for two generations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they had been in this country for at least two generations by the time Jacob says this toward the end of his life, he says, I'm a sojourner here. I'm a foreigner in this place. I don't, I don't value the things you value. I don't, prior, I don't have the same priorities you do. We don't think the same. I'm a foreigner here in this place. Where was his home? It wasn't Canaan, even though that had, was what had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, to be their homeland. So Canaan's not their homeland. So what is? Is it, is it Ur of the Chaldees that they want to go back to maybe? No, well, that's not the case either. Look down uh, in uh, verse... 15, he says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. The Hebrew writer says, listen, if they wanted to go back to, to, to Ur of the Chaldees, where they were from, if they were calling that home, they could have gone back there at any point they wanted to. They stayed in Canaan where they stuck out. So Canaan's not home, but neither is, is, uh, Can uh, is Ur of the Chaldees where they're from. So where's home? Well, when, especially when I was young, uh, I lost my accent. I worked very hard in college to eradicate my southern accent. Um, and still, to this day, somebody that I, I've met for the first time will say, oh, where are you from? Where's home? Uh, I don't recognize the accent. Where, where, where do you call home? And I'll say, well, you know, I was born in Middle Tennessee. And I've had people, this is truth, I've had people deny that I'm from Tennessee. They tell me I'm not from Tennessee because of the way I speak, because of, because of my, my accent. Where's home? Where's home for you? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not from Ur of the Chaldees, and home was not Canaan. So where was home for them? Listen to what he says. They were strangers in this place. Whether they were in Canaan or whether they were in or the Chaldees, where they were from. They were strangers and exiles. We're not meant to fit in here. Our citizenship, Paul reminds us in Philippians, is not on this earth. It doesn't have an earthly address. So whether you're from Africa, whether you're from Europe, whether you're from America, wherever you're from, if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, your address, your home address, doesn't have an earth address. Doesn't, it's not postmarked earth. You're a citizen of, of heaven. And we need to act like it. Our minds and our hearts have been transformed closer and closer to the image of Christ every day. 
We need to act like it. We need to act like, we need to be citizens of that place, not here. Because we are just strangers and exiles on the earth, just as much as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah were. We're sojourners here, foreigners. We don't think like our friends in the world do. We don't prioritize or value the things that they value. We are different. We ought to stick out. It ought to be hard for us to live here. There ought to be some uncomfortableness here. That's part of our home. That's part of what we're longing to go back to. Now, you've got the ancient context. Let me fast forward the context from Abraham all the way up into the first century and tell you why the Hebrews writer is mentioning Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, and Jacob to this group of Christians. In Hebrews, well, Hebrews was written to a group of formerly Jewish people who have now become Christians. They are uh, Jews by birth, by nationality. They are still Jews, but they no longer practice the Jewish religion. They have converted it into Christianity. Now they belong to Christ. But in their day, it is becoming increasingly difficult to be a Jewish Christian because... The Jews are making them pay for it. They're making it difficult for Christians to maintain their Christianity, to maintain their, their, their passion for Jesus, especially if they're Jewish. And so you don't have to go back far in the New Testament uh, to find how the Jews are treating Christians. Look at Paul's life. For example, I'm putting some verses on the, on the board in front of me here uh, so you can go back there and reference those. Look at those verses and, f and read through them and you'll see how the Jews treated Paul. Time and time again, it seems to be one of the staples of his life. He always had troubles. He always had struggles with the Jews. They were always pressuring him, always hating him. And by the time this letter to the Hebrews is written, that hatred of Paul has transformed into hatred of all Christians. And they're, they're really making it difficult for a Jewish person to be a Christian. They're telling you, make some concessions. Pull away from Christ. Sit on the fence. We're, we're kind of familiar with that thought, right? The spiritual apathy, uh, sitting, on, sitting on the fence, not making a decision one way or the other. I'm going to come to church, but I'm not really going to be a Christian. I'm going to talk like a Christian, but I'm not going to act like one. I'm not going to be one. That's what these Jewish people were, were trying to teach the Christians to do. Sit on the fence. At the very least, sit on the fence. At the very most, walk completely away from Christ. Disavow Him as Savior and come back into Judaism. Come back into the Mosaical Law. Follow it. And the Hebrew writer says that, that would be a catastrophe. He brings up Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, and Jacob here to remind them, these first century Jewish Christians, Abraham's home was not in Ur of the Chaldees. Just like the first century Jewish Christian's home was not in Judaism. And 
their home, Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah, and Jacob's home, was not in Canaan. Just like the first century Christians can't walk away from Christ. It's not an option. You can't go back. And he actually opens up later, uh, or earlier in this, in this text, in the Hebrew letter, and tells us what happens when you do go back. When you sit on the fence, when, when, you have, when you're, when you're uh, apathetic, spiritually speaking, when, you're, when you try to go back into your old life, whether it's Judaism or whatever life it was before Christ, he says it just doesn't work. There's nothing but death and destruction and pain down that way. You can't go back. Just like Abraham couldn't go back to Ur of the Chaldees, he was a stranger there. Judaism is a strange thing to these first century Christians who, who are Jewish. These Jewish first century Christians. He says, you can't go back there. There's nothing down that path for you. You also can't leave this spiritually apathetic life that they're trying to get you to live. You can't do that. You have to make a decision. You have to say, Jesus is Lord completely, 100%. He is 100% in charge of my life. And if that costs me my life, that's okay. I was a stranger and a foreigner here. Anyhow, this place is not home. I'm going home now. I'm headed home now. We've become very attached to this place. But God says through the Hebrew writer right here, this place is not your home. Don't, don't become attached to this place. You need to become attached to that place. Not where you come from, not where you're going, but heaven. That's the real home. The one place where we are and can be completely comfortable where we fit in. Why do we do that? Because we value and prioritize the exact same things that God does in all the people who have inherited that place. It's the one place where Christians will fit in. That's a place that we're longing to be. Listen to what he says in verse 14. May this be said of, of all of us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 14. For people who speak thus, well, speak how? Well, they speak like they're strangers and exiles on the earth, and they're looking forward to the promises of God, knowing for sure, being convinced for sure, that He's going to make good on those promises. Those two things. He says, people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. They make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. That, that's what we need to be about. We need to be so convinced that God is going to keep His promises that nothing, nothing can take our eyes off of that while at the same time being strangers and foreigners in this land because we value and prioritize different things than everyone else around us. We lead different lives, transformed lives. We're different. We ought to be. We should be. We have to be. Because we're looking forward to another home. Not here in this place. So, in the midst of a tumultuous year where we've dealt with, with, with the coronavirus and all the struggles that are 
nation has been through, um, as well as the, the, the election and all the things that have come from it and the events that have transpired this week in D.C. with the riot and uh, taking of Capitol Hill and things like that, you begin to become very concerned, don't you? Maybe you get a little scared. That's understandable. But our home is not here. If we're thinking our government, our America in general, will be able to save us or make us happy or give us peace, it does not have the power to do those things. It's not capable of doing those things. The only one who is capable of saving us, making us happy, and giving us peace is Jesus Christ. And as we come to Him and become unified with Him, He, through the power of baptism, He washes away our sins and unites us, not just with each other, which is an amazing feat. He unifies us with each other, but He also unifies us with God with His Father. And together we become His treasured possession as we seek for and long for home. I hope this week, I hope this year, maybe this is the beginning of a yearning, a longing for home for you. Don't put your trust in Anything else. It can be really tempting to put our trust in, in American society and our government and friends and you know whatever. Let me encourage you. All those things are broken reeds that are just going to let you down. The only place where we can put our trust is in God. And the only home that we really have is in heaven. That's a place that we long for and wait for. So as He prolongs His coming, may we yearn and long evermore for that home that we have with Him. We
Good morning. Let's consider our thoughts for the Lord's table. I'd like for you to remember going to the cemeteries, especially on Memorial Day. As a matter of fact, we used to call it Decoration Day. And we'd go to three or four cemeteries and decorate the graves of our loved ones. And we did that to make them pretty, to make them have good memories for us. When we come to this memorial for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who do we honor? Him, of course, and our Father who made it all possible. But what do we bring to make this memorial beautiful? How can we decorate the suffering, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? There's only very few things that would, would suffice. We can bring our homage, our trust, bring our love. We can bring our thanks. We can bring our memories. But most of all, we can bring ourselves, And that's how we show our love to God for what he's given and for Jesus for the great sacrifice that he made. Let's go to God now in prayer and give thanks for the bread. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather around your table to remember the death of our Savior, remember the suffering that he went through, Father, remember how it affected you and we are the, are the cause of all that to happen. Thank you for letting him bear our sins on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue with the Lord's Supper, we partake of the fruit of the vine. This represents and reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. We are so thankful for that. It's inexpressible at times, but we bring and give ourselves to him to show our honor and our trust in him. Let's go to God again in prayer. Dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, you've been so wonderful to us. You've given us everything we need. Father, the things that we couldn't do for ourselves to bring ourselves back into a relationship with you because of our sin 
you had to do that yourself. We appreciate and love you, Father, for making that possible through the death of your Son and the shedding of his blood. As we partake of this cup, Father, help us to remember that death, that suffering, that blood, and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the duties, responsibilities, and privileges that we have as a Christian is that we are to help spread God's word to, to the world, to our neighborhood, to our cities, to our country. We do this through many different ways. But here in this community, we provide support for this building. We provide support for the ministers. We provide support to spread the word in this area. As you contemplate your giving, please remember these things. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, you have blessed us so richly you've given us so much you even gave us the gift of your son Father the earthly blessings that we have we thank you for them Father we give you thanks back as we present our offering back to you in Jesus name we pray Amen.
Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here again this morning, today being the 10th day of January 2021. We have some announcements to finish up with. We're thankful for the lesson we just had and pray that you continue to pray for our congregation and our country and that we can get through this, even though we've been talking about now some 10, 11 months. Ben Ward and Evan Williams have tested positive for COVID, I understand, this past week. Carol Galloway's is scheduled to have kidney stone removed on January the 19th. Clinton will see a car cardiologist tomorrow the 11th. Keep him and Carol both in your prayers. Dean Cooper is in Cabell as of Friday morning. We're doing this taping and Mary Alice is recovering at home so keep them in your prayers also. Pray for others having cancer and other illnesses at this time. Keep Rusty in your prayers. He will be uh, my understanding uh, going through another round of chemo. Also continue to pray for Kristen Ward. Keep her in your prayers and be with her families also. Our sympathy continue to remember Jeff and Jackie Hutchison at the passing of Jeff's dad. The funeral was held Thursday. Also, keeping your prayers, Becky Zinnerman and her family at the passing of her husband Larry this past week. Sympathy goes out to her and her family also. The elders met this week and with Chris and David and with the information that, that, that we get on the issue at hand in having virtual worship service or returning to the building for worship service here at the building, we've decided that we will try to come back on January the 31st and say and keep in your prayers that we can get through this sooner than later. It is a strain on all of us. And let's pray for this as much as we ever have. And hopefully we can get through this difficult time. It, it's totally different not being able to attend worship service on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, have Bible class, interact with people of like minds with us. We, we ask for your prayers. I'd like to read this morning Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. It's a little bit long, but I think you'll like the end of it. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind each esteem other better than themselves. Look not at every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, though in not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for your Son who came and died for us, that we have a chance to enter one day with you in heaven. We pray, Father, that you bless us with strength and courage to carry on, that as we plan on January 31st to hopefully worship again in the building with, with everyone, that, that, that we all can sing songs of him, of praise to you, and, and hear another lesson from your word together. We pray you bless, Father, uh, the ones that have COVID, be with Ben and Evan and Dean and Mary Alice and, and Marvin and, and Christy and all of our others, Father, that the virus, pray you bless them and pray that they get through it. We ask that you bless Clinton and, and Carol to our upcoming appointments. We ask that you bless Rusty as he starts his chemotherapy again, that the, the medicines that the doctors have, will prescribe will help fight the cancer that he has. Continue to be with Kristen and her and her family and her fight against her tumor. Bless him and, and, and give him strength, Father. We pray for Jeff and his family at the passing of his dad, that you bless him and, and know that there's difficult time and be with Becky and at the passing of Larry and her family, bless them also, Father. We pray for our congregation. We haven't been able to be together much in the past 10, 11 months. And Father, we ask for strength and courage and that when we do return that each and every one finds their way back. We know this is difficult and we get into routines and we might not Remember to come or want to come or, but Father, give us strength to get through this. We ask that you watch over us as, as we go about our daily walk of life, that, that we still continue to study, to, to look to you for guidance and help. Bless us, Father. We ask your blessings on our country on our president and the president to come, that the decisions they make, they will look to you for guidance and help. Forgive us all, Father, in thy son's name we pray, and amen.